In today's episode of Project Recovery... No big deal. I drive right on past. Then I have this impression come over me. It says, turn around and give her all the money. That's a lot of money. But I thought, how cool. So I flip my car around. I pull up. Cute little fourth grade girl just sitting there. And I... Make sure you listen to the end. Find us on Facebook at Project Recovery. We'll have that and much more coming up. Welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, it's about recovery. And it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. They've got a lot of information over there. Go check it out, how to talk to yourself, talk to your loved ones, talk to your doctors, and uh, find out what's really going on with opioids. I'm Casey Scott. You can hear my sultry, sexy voice right now. And you're going to be able to hear Dr. Matt. Dr. Matt, say something sexy. uh, Love you, Case. That wasn't sexy, and it was kind of echoey. No, that wasn't sexy? It wasn't uh, sexy, okay. kind of echoey. And the reason why yeah. is because, um, well, the way I like to say it is God gave me alcoholism, and he gave you COVID. He sure did. And he so me with it. You've got COVID, and so I've done all the right things. I got the vaccine. I, I wear the mask. Uh, you know, I try to stay away from people. Uh-huh. And I've done the exact <laughs> opposite. I, got it. I go yeah. to the gym. I shake people's hands. I was at a convention on Tuesday where I probably hugged over 100 women. And, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, but I'm still doing good. Test myself once a week, and uh, everything yeah. seems to be going good. Uh, yeah. But well, you, that's good, buddy. Has it been kicking your butt? Be honest with us. It has been. No, it's, it's uh, you know, if you look at the research on it, people with a vaccine uh, of new cases, it's 9, 10% are, are vaccinated people, so pretty low. And then of those people that get it, they say the symptoms are less. But I wouldn't have wanted any symptoms worse than I've had. I've been out of work for a week. Uh, today's the first day I've really done anything, and that's not much. We just had, you know, the radio stuff set up here in my office at my house and talking to you guys. But, no, it's been bad. A lot of fatigue, congestion, headache, not sleeping well. So it's been a bummer, not a vacation by any means. Well, I offered to bring you some of my famous chicken noodle soup, but you said your girlfriend took care of you, so you're all good on that front. Uh, you're not yep, really you're, you're good, buddy. You're not really sleeping, uh, but we wanted to do this show because we, this is a responsibility that we feel greatly about is being able to do this show weekly. I know there's a lot of people who tune in uh, on the podcast, uh, they tune in on the Facebook, and they want to know what's going on, and uh, that's why we felt it is important to have them take some stuff over to you, so you'll be able to do this because without you there's no project recovery dr matt i mean you're the voice of reason for uh, what goes on in this world well for me i don't anyways. know casey i think i think it's a i think it's a dual project a triple project really because we couldn't do it without josh but um i don't know if the listeners know you know over the last couple of years uh we've we've done everything we can to work around vacations and other things illnesses so that we can get a weekly show out and i agree i wanted to to do it so thank Thanks to the uh, technology that we have here, we can do it. You know, and, and it, and it kind of takes me back to uh, my addiction. I remember when I was active in my addiction, I used to pride myself on the being able to just go with any situation. And, you know, I'm just a kind of guy that just goes with anything. Throw it at me, and I'm going to make it work, and we're going to have some fun. One thing I found when I was in uh, – 
pinnacle recovery is that I'm a fan of a routine. I really do like a routine because it keeps me going. And so when I was in recovery, when you woke up in the morning, the first thing they made you do was make your bed. And I always fought this. I fought this since I was five years old. I go, mom, why am I making my bed? I'm just going to get in it again. She goes, well, you need to make your bed. But I, I won that fight. My mom didn't. So I've always just had a messy bed. But now did you, I, did you tell her that you don't tie your shoes when you take them off? Well, no, she bought me Velcro because I wasn't that good at tying. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, you make your bed first thing in the morning because if that's all you've done, you've done the one thing at least right. And then hopefully it just it yeah. keeps, keeps going. And so now I have a routine. I wake up in the morning. Um, well, I pee like most people, and then I get some water, get some coffee, go to the gym, come home, you know, check emails and do that. And I'm a really f- a big fan of routines. And so I just yeah. want to know, kind of in your psychological wor- world, is a routine a good thing? Because a lot of people go, I'm not a routine guy, but I think most of us want a routine. No. Yeah, routines are highly associated with success in any part of life. Um, you know, having some unstructured free time should be the exception and it plays a role. It's very important, um, where you can just sort of have some creative time to do what, whatever comes to mind. But if you get up and have a routine, what happens is you're firing those neural pathways that become, um, repetitive and, and stronger every time that you, you repeat a behavior. And so, you know, if you get up and have a good morning routine, then it signals to your brain, everything that's supposed to come next. And that usually has to do with optimism, positivity, energy, uh, and getting things accomplished. And let's face it, we all have things that we need to get accomplished every day. And if you're feeling behind under the gun all the time and not getting stuff done on your list, then you stress is high and, and you feel overwhelmed. So having a routine helps with that nighttime routine. I talk to people about that all the time. People don't realize that your brain's going so much that if you just lay down and try to go to sleep without going through a nighttime routine, it's hard for your brain to slow down and calm down and get a good night's rest. So that's why my nighttime. On, that's why my night, on, Go ahead. I'm gonna say that's why my nighttime routine used to be six beers because it would quiet <laughs> um, and, and and people yeah, laugh and, yeah. and but that was that because I couldn't stop my brain from going if I lay yeah. and, and even to this day I have to fall asleep with the TV on uh, just yeah. so my brain will shut down because if I'm left to my own thoughts. Uh, just it just starts to just go one after another and another and another. Now the meditation and the breathing has really helped me center that and slow it down and be able to access what I'm thinking about and letting it go. But back in the day, I could get a negative thought in my head and dwell upon that for days and get me spinning out of control. And the only thing that back then that I could find to make it quiet was some beers. Yeah, yeah, no, and unfortunately that has. A counterproductive effect on sleep. It may make you sleepy, but then you have a you have a poor night's sleep. You're restless, and you often wake up, and it's not healthy for you, obviously, to, to do that. And and having you know doing something like meditation and whatnot in the evening is very very helpful. I highly recommend it. But even just having a simple routine where about the same time every night you start doing the same things. You know, you put on your PJs, you brush your teeth, you do whatever you do. You know, read a little bit, get off the screens. Um, those kinds of things are super helpful. Uh, so you and I need to work on your TV at night. But that's, um, I know why you do that, because that drowns out. It's You probably watch stuff you've watched a hundred times, right? I'm watching NCIS again for the fourth time. And we're talking from oh, season geez. one to season 11. <laughs> I can tell you about right. Gibbs, DeNozo, De- Ziva, or whatever you want to know. I'm a big Is that fan the of one the one with uh, 
Is that the one with Ice Cube? No, that's Mark Harmon. Uh, the one I watched. Oh, the one okay. with Ice Cube is Law and Order, and I also watched Law that and as Order. Well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen either one of those. But, so, Doctor Matt. Yeah. So, so a routine is very, very healthy. And um, honestly, for anybody who is struggling with addiction, having a healthy routine, um, bookending both ends of your day, the morning and the evening which are often weak times, struggle times where people struggle with their addictions, um, a routine can really help you get through that and stay sober. This just popped into my mind, and I hope it plays out like I, I, I see it in my head. So you have an addict saying, I hate routines, but that addict is already in a routine, a routine of getting their drugs, using their drugs, finding more money to get drugs. I mean, it's just a bad routine, but don't get yourself twisted. It is a routine, right? Oh, def- definitely. It's a routine. In fact, your body gets used to that, and that's why when a lot of people overdose, it's because they've taken drugs outside of their normal routine, and their body isn't ready for it. You don't realize that everything we think and everything we do every day is either new programming for our brain or um, initiating old programming. And so your your brain starts sending signals to your body about what to expect, like I was saying at night. If you start doing your nighttime routine at the same time every night, it starts sending signals like, hey, oh, I know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to calm down and relax and go to sleep. And, you know, your body gets ready for that. Uh, same thing with people who are in active addiction. You know, the time of day, the situation, the people, you know, all those things that are associated with their use uh, come to play. And then, uh, you know, you're, you are very much in a routine. So uh, when that changes, that can often be a high risk time for overdose. You know, I just thought of this uh, early on in my sobriety, probably for the first year. I don't notice it anymore, but for the first year, if I was sitting at a party, if I was sitting at a ball game, if I was sitting anywhere and I heard somebody open up a soda can, a beer or whatever, that little, my mind already went to, oh, it's about to be a good time. I mean, it was, yeah. it was like Pavlov's <laughs> theory. I was like, Lassie was like, what, the barn's on fire? I mean, I could, I, it, just, it just came to me. I was like, oh, hey. And, and that sound used to get me. And I used to go, oh, I remember what that sound meant. But now it doesn't mean that yeah. for me anymore because I don't drink. And it's been Do long you really long. not get that, that twinge? Because that's called classical conditioning. You brought up Pavlov. And sounds, smells, tastes. Uh, times of day, situations, all of those things can trigger those responses that are so well ingrained in us, especially in somebody who's been an addict. So so if somebody opens a can behind you, you still don't get a little twinge? No, I, I, and I just thought of it now. For the first year, really bad. I could always tell. And almost to the point where my mouth would salivate. You know what I'd be like? Oh, hey. Oh, yeah. I we, would expect that. We know that's going to happen, but not anymore. I think, and I don't want to say I got this because when you say you got this in the world of recovery means you don't got it and bad things are about to happen. But I think I'm far enough removed where that doesn't really where my head goes anymore. Normally, I go, I, I'd yell at my son, don't we drink? drinking my last diet Mountain Dew because he's trying to sneak it out of the fridge, you know, because now I like a diet Mountain Dew or I like a cold in the can. There's nothing better than that. So I, I don't I, I don't think of beer anymore. Uh, before we get to our guest, his name is Todd Sylvester. He's a counselor up at Wasatch Recovery and he's a life coach for the past 30 years. That means he's been doing it before it became a the end thing to do. I want to talk to you real quick because Dr. Matt on Facebook and Instagram, if it asks the word recovery or addiction in it, uh, I, I've, I've subscribed to it, and so I get all their feeds. Oh. And I saw this meme today, all right? And I know you love it when I talk memes, but there were two well, dogs. I know it's your main news source. Yeah, yeah, there were two dogs. One was like a shih tzu, 
and the other one was a Great uh-huh. Dane. Okay, and they both little and big, little and big, and they both had mud on their legs. And one in the Shih Tzu was going, "Man, that mud is deep." And the Great Dane was like, "What mud?" And so it kind of got me thinking that you know it's perspective. Uh, I remember when I was in recovery, and my counselor goes, "I see you. You're hiding in plain sight." I said, "Well." What do you mean? He goes, you're here, but you're not really here. And I said, well, I just don't feel like I should talk about my problems because I'm talking to everybody else and their problems seem to be a lot worse than mine. He goes, dude, you're in rehab, so your problems are pretty big. (laughs) But in my mind, I was downplaying him. And so it made me think of those two dogs. There's still mud there for both of them. But for one, it's a lot more. And it, it, it's not saying that the other guy doesn't notice mud, but it's just not as bad to him. And so, you know, that's kind of what we talk about is that a lot of times we don't want to address us because we think somebody has it worse than us. But the reality is if we're there, it's probably pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, it is. And, you know, the, there are a few problems with, with that sort of discounting of your own problems. Obviously, most of us are raised to not, you know, want to walk around and wallow in our our self-pity or our problems. But the truth is, if you don't face, if you don't understand your problems and if you don't face them, you don't really have much of a chance of, of, of improving them or getting rid of your problems, of being successful that way. And when people say, oh, well, my problems aren't as bad as someone else's problems, well, then you've just robbed yourself of an opportunity for growth, right? I mean, you, that's the only way we grow is by recognizing and addressing the problems in our lives, especially anything uh, in the realm of addiction. And so, no, I like that. Uh, definitely uh, talk to people about that all the time, whether it has to do with more psychological things or, or addiction things, that uh, you have to be able to recognize and deal with your problems if they're going to improve. And if you don't do that, then you're just robbing yourself of an opportunity, in my opinion. I remember calling my mom in rehab going, hey, I'm in the wrong place. She goes, Why? I go, there's people in here for meth, heroin, cocaine. I'm in here for Bud Light. She goes, you're an idiot. You're in there for the right reason. You need to shut up. Your problem is your problem. It might not be the same as theirs, but you're an addict just like them. And it took me a while to understand that. I, you know, and, and I'm slowly learning more. And that's what this podcast is all about, is an education to everybody. So you're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Our guest coming up, Todd Sylvester, will hear his story coming up. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist and currently battling COVID in the safety of his own home. We've sent over equipment. He's got a computer. He's got a microphone. He's got a laptop. Uh, Do you have a little TLC? Is your family taking good care of you? 
oh yeah, my family's been great. Uh, I'm here in my sweats and my comfy chair, sipping some tea, feeling good. So you still got your sort taste of. buds. You can still <laughs> well. You've never been able to smell, so that's not a big deal for you. I can't smell things. So, but no, I I uh, I've done a few little taste tests. I think the taste buds are intact. Yeah. And for, and for the record, you have your vaccination, but you were still one of the lucky ones to actually get it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got my vaccination back back before it was cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you've always been on the forefront of co- uh, being cool. You're like Depeche Mode, fashion forward. You know that? Uh, yeah, that, I, I hear that a lot. I hear that you a lot, do yeah. not hear that a lot. Hey, our guest today is Todd Sylvester. I've been trying to get him on the podcast for over a year and a half. He's super busy. Uh, he's a counselor up at Wasatch Recovery. He's also a life coach for the past 30 years. We have some mutual friends, and uh, they always tell me, you got to hear Todd Sylvester's story. It's amazing, and I'm so glad that we finally get to hear it. Uh, so where does the Todd Sylvester story begin? Well, first of all, thanks, Casey and Dr. Matt, for having me on. This is a great opportunity, and I'm glad we finally connected after this long, you know? You know what? You, people think that the recovery world is so small in Utah, but it's growing a, yeah. even bigger and bigger every year, which we couldn't be more grateful for and thankful. And the fact that uh, you're celebrating how many years of sobriety? 32 years. Wow, that's yeah. pretty amazing. I think you might have the record. <laughs> Maybe. That, yeah, for our show. For yeah. our show, I think you Definitely. do. Yeah. So uh, how old are you? Can I ask? Yeah. 53 and so you got sober when oh boy um now you're gonna really uh test me here it was 1990 1990 so you didn't want to be like prince and party till it was 1999 no 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 you said ah, i'm out yeah so where does the story did you grow up here in utah yeah i grew up in utah just uh went to uh grew up in the codwood heights area went to brighton high school uh, got a, a younger brother older sister you know pretty normal looking family <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was it was a good upbringing actually. And so, uh, I see. I don't even know anything about your story. What was your DOC? What was your drug of choice? Well, it eventually turned into it was alcohol and cocaine, but it started with marijuana. And uh, you know, I took my first. Actually, I took my first sip of alcohol when I was 11 years old. You know, my dad had a wet bar in the house, and you know, I didn't get drunk at 11, but that's when it started. And I knew what I was doing was wrong, but there was something about it that I thought, wow. You know, I, I liked it. And I think probably, Dr. Matt, I'm a lot like Todd in that, you know, my parents had a wet bar and I'd look around and I would see all these grown-ups having a good time. And yeah. it seemed that they all came together around alcohol. So it made it almost this magical, mystifying, you know, concoction that, you know, that, that this is what this is what life's about. This yeah. is how they reward them. Sure. So we I call that we call it modeling. Right. Like yeah. that's that's uh, unfortunately when. You grow up around it. Typically, well, not always, obviously, but in these kinds of contexts that the two of you are talking about, parents having friends over and parties and things. Yeah, you're, you're, what's modeled to you is sort of the fun part, the the stuff that's on TV commercials, and yeah. and as a kid, that looks pretty fun. Like, you know, yeah. mom and dad are doing it, so it must be all right. So yeah, that's a lot of kids who grow up with alcohol in the house. They see that. And if unless they see the ugly side of, of alcoholism right away, then it's very tempting to want to sneak some drinks. Yeah. And so at 11, you take your first sip of alcohol. Yeah. And you knew it was wrong, but you wanted to do it anyways. Yeah. And do you remember it doing anything to you or did you, did you like, because sometimes I think kids think they're going to take that first drink and we've had people on the podcast who have taken their first drink, their first pill, whatever it is. And they felt complete for the first time in their life. Yeah. It wasn't that for me. I mean, it burned my throat, burned my lips, my mouth. I was like, whoa, you know, but you know, my, my dad, you know, 
speaking of modeling, would have a he has he'd have a drink every night before he'd go to bed. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he just that's what he did. He'd have one drink before he went to bed every night. He's been drink doing like it a since, gentleman. Yeah. And so in my mind as a kid, I'm like, what are you drinking? Oh, this is just for the adults, you know? And so both my parents worked and me and my brother, when parents weren't around, we'd go back there and we'd just take a little sip here or there on, on the stuff that my dad was drinking. And, but it wasn't like, oh, now I'm complete. It was just like, I, I fell in the rush with, I know this is maybe what I shouldn't be doing, but there was something you're about You're getting it. away with something. Yeah, right? exactly. Kind of, yeah. 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 And you're- and That's a rush in and of itself. For sure. And Dr. Matt, like you were saying, I, you know, my family would throw parties all the time, my mom and dad, and, and just seeing that, it's, that's just the way I grew up. And so that was completely normal. And so looked like a blast, right? So I thought, man, this is what I'm going to probably end up doing. I may have not said that at 11, but that's what it was leading to. And so then you said you uh, started with uh, experimenting with marijuana. Yeah. So, so I, um, so Basketball, I got this is a really big part of the story because I think this is important. Um, I learned at a very young age I had this all or nothing mentality. I played every sport growing up, but in about sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I decided I was going to play basketball. That's what's going to be my focus. I wanted to get a college scholarship. And so I was obsessed with it. And I learned at a very young age. I mean, I was practicing two or three hours a day by myself in sixth and seventh grade wow and and i just how many times casey have we had somebody on the show yourself included who this is part of the personality structure not for everybody who's an addict but for such a high percentage of people that it's that all or nothing mentality and so consequently folks are often very successful in certain areas but then when they apply that all or nothing to to the drugs and alcohol, it gets yeah. pretty out of hand. No, I mean, it, it, you're right. And that's how it is with me. I'm all or nothing, whether it's the gym, whether it's NCIS, yeah. whether it's alcohol. I mean, I, really, <laughs> I mean, I tell you that, but I have to watch every season because yeah. I need to know how it finishes. And, yeah. I, and I cannot not finish it. <laughs> and it's the same yeah. reason that I was such a good drunk. I would look around at all my friends and I go, I'm winning. Yeah. You know, I thought the goal here was to get drunk, and I'm way drunker than you guys, so yeah. who's winning? Me. <laughs> yeah. But in my warped brain, it made sense. It made sense, and that's where I was. Yeah, I'd have four pina coladas. My dad would have one, and, and he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, why are you nursing one? Yeah. Like, it just didn't compute in my head that way. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what I don't understand. I was like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Exactly. So you were yeah. out there practicing on the basketball court by yourself in sixth yeah. and seventh grade for two to three hours a day. Yeah. And were you getting good? Well, I was a short, little skinny kid. And I, I mean, obviously I was getting better, but again, I was I was a really short, skinny kid. I, you know, kids, some of those kids at that age are big, you know, and they're already getting hair under their armpits. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like a very late bloomer. But, you know, over time, gradually, I just started getting really, really good. And I ended up making the freshman team uh, at Brighton High School my ninth grade year. There was 18 kids on the team, which meant I didn't get to play very much. And it just fueled my desire to, like you said, I'm going to be the best. That's where my head was. I'm like, I'm getting a college scholarship. I'm going to play in the NBA. And after that season was over... Um, at the end of my freshman year, I got invited with a friend of mine to go to Bear Lake for four days, four-day weekend. So I went up with his family. Raspberry days. Yep. We pull into the campsite. Everyone gets out of the car. My friend holds me back, says, hold on a minute. I'm like, what? He goes, just wait a minute. So the family gets away from the car. He grabs his backpack, and he pulls out a quarter ounce of marijuana, whole wow. sandwich bag full. I didn't even know what it was. Honestly, at that point, I... And I go, what it is that? It could have been oregano. Yeah, it could have been whatever. And he goes, it's <laughs> marijuana. And he goes, we're going to smoke this. And I'll never forget what he said. He goes, you're going to love it. 
And I kid you not, we smoked that entire bag in four days. Wow. I fell in love with it. And my all or nothing was like, I'm going to smoke this every day. And that's when the beginning of the, you know, the horror that I went through. And again, that all or nothing mentality was obviously going to take me in a bad direction. So did you go back and do the basketball thing or? Yeah. So now this is, uh, so I started doing that a week later. I had another friend of mine whose parents, this is a week after the Bear Lake experience, whose, uh, his parents went out of town and they asked me if I'd ask a family member to get us some beer for a party. So I went and asked uh, my family member and I try to keep that uh, sure. uh, you know, confidential, but he ended up buying us 10 cases of beer, a bunch of little kids with 10 cases of beer. You can't even imagine. I, that was the first time I really just got wasted. And um, I didn't. I don't remember the night. The next morning, my friends were like, "Dude, you were, you were crazy last night." And they were saying, "You know, you were talking to these girls. You did this and that." And again, it was just feeding my ego. And you know, at that age, we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And I'm not kidding you. I was like, "I'm going to do this every weekend." So, just to paint the picture, I was smoking pot at that point every day and drinking on the weekends. And then um, between my freshman and sophomore year, I grew seven inches. Which wow. is really good for Whoa. basketball. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'd be laying yeah. in bed. My knees would be killing me because of that growing paint. I mean, I was, and I just shot up. But I'm still practicing two or three hours every day. Sophomore year, I make the starting point guard of the team. We take first in state. I lead the team in every category. My junior year, we took second in state. I led the team in every category. My senior year, I was voted team captain with two other guys, and we took first in state again. And all along, you're wow. partying on the weekends wow. and smoking weed every day. Yeah, and and by the time the end of my sophomore year, you know how this goes. I got well. I'm going to try anything else under the sun. So I started back then. It was <laughs> this was going to really date me, but Quaaludes was a big thing back then. Uh huh. Um, I started doing speed cross tops. Started you know popping those and snorting those, and that led to me getting into cocaine and was doing mushrooms and cough syrup and. So and let me again, ask. Let just me ask went you, out of anything a kid could get his hands on. Exactly. Like. Yeah. Because I know for the longest time, I felt invincible. I felt like it didn't matter what you threw at me. I could do it, and I could wake up the next morning and do what I needed to be done. And it it didn't affect me until it did. I mean, looking back now with a sober mind, I could tell that it affected me from the get-go. I was slower. I wasn't as sharp. I wasn't my best and all those other things. But I thought, hey, look, I'm having this much fun on the side and still doing this and still better than most. Yeah. And so it must be okay. Well, I would say I'm going to take it one step further, Casey, and the psychology of that's called positive reinforcement. Mm. And so it's pretty hard to argue a kid out of it who is smoking weed every day, doing any drug he can get his hands on, drinking on the weekends, starting point guard, team captain, state champion, leading the league and everything. Like those kinds of things, you you look back on it, you, you combine that with an adolescent's typical feeling of invincibility and you're like you can't argue somebody out of that you know like that just you're just like why this is not a in fact that's where i get kids come in the office and they say i'm better at everything because i'm smoking weed every day and my parents are full of crap because they don't know and i'm still (laughs) doing i mean that's one of those things it's like and then you sit down and you do that kind of old dated stuff about drugs dare in the program like that and you know they're selling you all these bad stuff which will come to fruition and will happen for the most part but that doesn't apply to you it doesn't sound reasonable to you it doesn't even make sense to you because you're doing the exact opposite and you're still winning 
I mean, that's the maddening thing about drugs, alcohol, and any of that. It's a huge, huge lie. It gets you in, and then it throws you on your head. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're doing all this stuff, and everything. What seems- about your grades? What about your grades, though? Oh, I was really poor at school. I mean, and this, I'm okay with it now. But at the time, I was in resource classes. I didn't do. I didn't study. I thought I was stupid. I had this belief that I wasn't smart, which actually fueled part of my addiction. Honestly, I. Um, Did you have a learning disability or ADHD you know, or anything I, like that? Yeah, I don't know because back then my parents we never we never checked things out. We didn't talk about this stuff. No, we just kind of yeah. Then. And but I you know to put it in perspective, I took the ACT my senior year, and and again I'm okay saying this now, but I mean there was a time I was really embarrassed about this, but I got a five. So you just barely got your name right. Yes. I think you get like three points to yeah. put your name down. I got a five. I kid you not. And wow. at the time, you know, I was trying to laugh it off like no big deal. But I got a five on the ACT. I had shaved my head and got a, my ear pierced all in one week. And it was the first time I saw my dad cry. Mm. And he knew that, man, I am just a complete mess. So my grades, Dr. Matt, were, were horrible. I was getting like one sevens, one eights. But then I would... During basketball, I was like getting past a two zero because I needed to be eligible. But all your value and self worth right. was in the fact that you were a party king and yes. a basketball stud. Yep, absolutely. And everything, like you said, was going well. It seemed like mm-hmm. until my senior year, and that's when things started to change. I noticed, I noticed this voice in my head that I had. We all have it since I was a little kid. That negative voice that says you're pathetic. No one likes you. You know. No girl's ever going to want to date you. You're stupid. You know, those kind of things. And for some reason is when I, senior year is when I really noticed how loud this was. And I walked around those hallways depressed. And the only time I felt somewhat normal is if I was partying and doing this. And, you know, I was giving drugs away to my friends. I was throwing keggers at my house. And again, it was all feeding my, I was trying to validate myself. Look at all my friends. Look at all this. In reality, when I would, you know, the next day when I was hungover, I was just like, I'm the biggest piece of you know what. Yeah. You know? We're going to find out more about Todd Sylvester's story in just a second. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Welcome back. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is uh, counselor and life coach Todd Sylvester. Before we took the break, uh, Todd was talking about how he felt after the party, after everybody left. He was really starting to listen to that inner monologue about himself and starting to believe it and talking about how it was actually making him more depressed. And Dr. Matt, you wanted to say something about depression because most most people think it's just a feeling, but there's also a physical side of it as well. Right. And I think it's interesting, you know, depression, if you look at when it starts in a person's life, it certainly can start at a very, very young age. But the most common age of onset is about 18 or 19 years old. And so, Todd, you're talking about, you know, how your senior year things started to really change. And the first thing you mentioned was that inner dialogue, self-deprecation, yeah. pessimism, negativity, especially towards yourself, a lot of, you know, put downs about yourself. And what's what's interesting about that is that a lot of people don't even recognize that that's depression, um, that that's the beginning of depression. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, the most destructive part of depression is the cognitive aspect, the yeah. negative, the pessimism, the, the put downs, 
because, um, you know, if somebody else, I, I sometimes use the analogy with people, like if you had a, a friend following you around saying all those things in your ear, you'd probably punch him out. <laughs> you'd be like, so, yeah, leave exactly. me alone, man. Yeah. Like you are so annoying, like, and, and you would, you'd fight it. But when it's in your own head, it takes on a, an element of realism and, and genuine uhness that we we start to believe and then those beliefs um sink into the feelings of depression that we have so i just wanted to point that out for people who are struggling with depression or struggling more specifically with recovery is it, even if you feel like you can get up and you have energy to do things during the day if your inner monologue is is negative and pessimistic and self-deprecating you need to get in and do some cognitive therapy on that because yeah. that that'll keep pulling you down yeah absolutely now we're gonna get back to todd's story and you know with alcohol drugs or any kind of substance the great lie is it works until it doesn't yeah and at first it makes everything better it seems to make you whole it makes you forget it it, it does what it's intended to do but what you don't realize is that there's going to be a bill that comes with that and it's going to take everything from you so you said your senior year that's when you started to notice some changes and things weren't working for Todd as like Todd wanted to. Exactly. Yeah, I would, I would play a couple really good basketball games and a couple really bad ones. And like my coaches, family, even my friends were like, "What is going on with you?" And I didn't put it together with the partying and the drug use. I was just like, "I don't know. I'm just don't. I'm not myself." And again, like I said, I I felt very depressed. I was I was having suicidal thoughts. And and I would walk down the hallway. If I heard someone laughing, I honestly thought they're laughing at me. I look funny. Like it was like this kind of like a little bit of a paranoia feeling. And it, again, the only time I felt somewhat normal was, you know, if I was using. And like I mentioned earlier, we took state my senior year. The state final game, I played the best game of my life. It just, for whatever reason, it just all came together that night. A week later, I got offered a full ride scholarship. So I was so pumped. I, you know, my dad was so proud of me because we had worked so hard to kind of get to that point. And, you know, I'm bragging to my friends that I got this scholarship. And so I got a couple months left my senior year. So I've got the scholarship in my hand. And that's when I just went overboard with uh, the drug use and the drinking. And, you know, I won't get into it because there's a long story. But I, I, I mean, I, I should have died several times. I mean, I drank so much one night. My blood alcohol alcohol level was 0.51. Whoa. I think lethal's 0.42 oh or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And I was a skinny right, kid. Right. I mean, I should have died. I to put it in perspective, I beer bonged a fifth of vodka in 2 seconds. And, oh my goodness. Yeah, and I I mean, that's how bad I was like, watch, I'm going to show everyone, like you were saying earlier, Casey, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be number one at this, Yeah, watch me. And and so I just point that out for your listeners that that's how bad things got. Like, it's like you never kind of slow it down. It's like, how do I just keep getting more and more, like chasing the dragon, right? Yeah. And you never get there. So, Todd, let me ask you this, uh, you know. Through the senior years and after winning state, you said you'd really turned it up. Did your parents ever call you out on the carpet? Did family members, did friends ever go, hey, Todd, um, you kind of seem to do this in excess? Well, so, yeah, my mom was probably the one that was most vocal. My mom, you know, and she's okay with me sharing this, she was addicted to opiates. And so my mom was going through her own addiction at the same time. And, uh, but she saw the path I was going down and she would just, like almost beg and plead with me to slow it down and right. But no one else honestly ever said anything. I had a few friends that were, I mean, again, you're with your buddies, like 
Oh, you're fine. You you know you have a hangover. You know you'll be fine. Well, they almost write it off. They go, "Last night was a night. You yeah. really were in rare form." And then they'll make <laughs> jokes about yeah. it. But sure, you know. But towards the end, my friends didn't want to be around me anymore because yeah. of the rare nights. And it's because we grew older and we had kids, and yeah. they didn't want to invite that kind of chaos into their yeah. house that I brought along with me. And instead of doing what m- m- normal people would do and 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 kind of address the problem, I found new friends who wanted that. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. weren't my real friends but they would tolerate me and put up with it yeah and so when does it come to a crashing end for you so this is a this is a very important piece for your listeners because so i started practicing with the team after graduation that i got the scholarship with about two weeks into practice the coach pulls me into the office and sits me down one-on-one like we're sitting here and he said all he says what's going on and right when he said that i i'm i knew i'm in trouble mentally spiritually physically i'm a complete mess and I just said, Coach, I know I'm not playing well. I will try harder. You know, I, I know I can be better. And he goes, Todd, this is the big boy leagues, and we don't have time to mess around. There's kids out there that have walked on that obviously want this more than you, and I hate to tell you this, but I'm taking away your scholarship. Oh. And I literally get on my knees, wow. and I'm crying, and I say, please don't do this. I go, I know I'm not playing well, but I will. And he's like, the decision's already been made. I'm sorry. And my first thought was, how am I going to tell my dad? And then my second thought was, I've been bragging to everybody. I got a scholarship. Now I have to somehow tell them I don't have a scholarship. I, I and I get emotional about this. <clears throat> I go, I went into severe depression. Um, I, I I always call it like this. After that, I became an angry drunk. Mm-hmm. Every time I would drink, I'd punch holes in the wall, I'd throw chairs through windows. Um, I would, you know, call. You know, I'd pick fights with people. I'm not a fighter. I mean, <laughs> but I was hurting so bad that. Um, I was just the, again, I was having suicidal thoughts. I ended up trying out at several other colleges and universities here in Utah and a few out of state, got cut from every one of them. And then I found myself living in Orem, Utah with five other guys in this house, a party house. And I call it the nasty house because we didn't clean it. I mean, I'm talking people would pee in the corner. We, we had a big brick wall when we were done with our beer bottles. We would throw them, let them shatter, never cleaned it up. I mean, it was... Nasty, and the reason why I'm pointing this out, Casey and Dr. Matt, is that, and you guys will hopefully agree with this, <laughs> is our outer world mirrors our inner world, mm. and this house was a representation of my inner world. It was a mess, but I was a mess, and I'll never forget it. It was a Thursday uh, afternoon, and reality slaps me upside the head. It says, "Basketball's over. You're never playing again. You're not college. Is it's done." And how old are you at that point? Oh, boy. I think I'm around 20, 20, between 20 and 21. And and uh, when that hits me, I, that's when I said, I'm, I'm ending my life. I'm going to go kill myself. And so I had planned it out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go home. I knew where a gun was. I was going to go in my backyard, and I was going to end my life. And that was a Thursday. Friday comes, and this is a very important part. I'm driving down University Avenue, and next to University Avenue at the time was Utah Valley Community College. I was attempting to go to school there, but I was failing everything. I was withdrawing from classes, but we'd always hang out in the lunchroom. And I'm in the lunchroom hanging out with, or in that lunchroom is where, like I said, we would hang out. Well, for whatever reason, instead of getting on the freeway and going home, I thought I'm going to go there first and kind of like a last goodbye to my friends. Mm-hmm. So I go and sit down at the table we normally would sit at, 
And as we're sitting there, I'm sitting here, and there's like eight of us, right? Where there was these two LDS girls that would always come sit at our table. They drove me crazy. I don't know why they come sit with us. I would rip on them. I would, <laughs> and you know, but for whatever reason, they would come. They were always trying to get us to like come to church and all that stuff. And I ice cream socials. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't grow up religious. I was like, matter of fact, I was anti everything. My dad was. I kind of followed his lead, and. But this particular day, when I'm thinking about going home to end my life, I overhear these girls talking about fasting and prayer. Just in my right ear, I can hear them talking about it. And for some reason, that word fasting just hits me. I didn't know what it meant. I I knew what prayer was. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, i got to figure out what that is. And so these two girls stand up to go head to class. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ask them. I mean, I'm scared. Like my, my heart's pounding. I walked behind him, tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, were you just talking about fasting and prayer? And they said, yeah. Why do you want to know? Like, because I was so mean to these girls. They're like, almost like, why are you asking? Are you going to? I go, no, I'm serious. Like, what is that? So they go on to explain what this is. And as they're explaining it to me, I'm thinking, what is the point? I thought it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, if you want help from God. And for some that, when they said that, I thought, is there a God and would God help me? And as I walked away, I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to do it. And so the next day, I don't go And you'd had no, no history with no fasting history. and prayer. Nothing. Did, it was prayer part of your family growing up? Doesn't nope. sound like it. No. Yeah, nothing. Okay. Um, not, I mean, I obviously knew what prayer was, but we never prayed as a family. We, we didn't go to church. We weren't religious. We, like I said, we So were, it wasn't a skill set you were falling back on? Nope. It was just one of those like, wow, it, would it work? Because deep down, so I didn't feel like I could go to my parents because my mom was, like I said, in her addiction. My dad, I, we kind of had, a, at the time, a strained relationship. And then all my friends partied. So I'm just like, I have nowhere to go. And so when I heard that, it was like almost like, you know what? What do I have to lose? And so instead of going home, I got back and I would go back to that house that I was living in, the nasty house. And now I, the next morning, it's now Saturday. I thought, I'm going to do what these girls said. They said, start with a prayer. So I go into this little teeny coat closet, get on my knees, because I have to, because there's coats in there. It's mm-hmm. kind of ironic. And I just said, God, if you're there, I need help. And that's all I said. And, you know, they when you fast, you're supposed to not eat or drink. Well, it was the first time since Bear Lake I didn't smoke a bowl, pop a pill, have a drink. And I don't know if any of your listeners have ever fasted. They probably have. I mean, you can get kind of cranky. Mm-hmm. I was in a bad mood. And even my roommates were like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. Didn't want them to know what I was even doing. I made it till about noon. <laughs> I was like, I can't go any longer. So I go back into that closet because they said, end with a prayer. And I said, God, if you're there, I did this fast. I need help. And being naive, I thought, well, if God's real, he's going to show up. Nothing happened. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was, I was disappointed. Ended up getting wasted that night. Still having suicidal thoughts, thinking about I'm going to go do that. And I wrestled with that for about two or three weeks, and then I had a miracle happen. Um, and can we talk about that? Yes. Is that, yes. Okay. Um, I get this phone call from a friend of mine named Rich who I played basketball with at Brighton. This kid was a good kid. We didn't hang out because I was doing things he wouldn't do, that kind of thing. And this guy was a good guy, but we hadn't talked since high school. I get this random phone call. And you got to remember, this is before cell phones. Like so we had to call a landline. Yeah. You remember when the phone used to ring on the wall? You you either were excited or you were afraid. Don't answer it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still remember my best friend's number, Tony Henderson, 801-479-3789. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And so the phone on the wall rings and it's like, you know, do we answer it? That kind of thing. So anyway, he tracks me down, my friend Rich. He goes, hey, where are you at these days? I said, I'm down here in Orem. He goes, so am I. He goes, I'd love to, I need to talk to you. Would you come over and you know catch up with me? I'm like, yeah, sure. Which I thought was weird. Hadn't talked to him. I go over to his apartment, open up the door. There he is, real serious look on his face. And I point that out because this guy's a goofball, loves to mess around. I'm like, man, are you all right? He's like, no, everything's fine. Come on in. So we sit down just like this. We start doing weather talk, right? Well, he starts to say all these good things about me. Hey, Todd, you're such a good person. You're going to help so many people. And he kept saying you're going to help kids. And, you know, I'm like, what is this guy talking about? I, I mean, live in the nasty house. Yeah, I live in the nasty house. You, and you know this, Casey. It's not about the drugs and alcohol. It's the lying, the cheating, the manipulating. I'm doing bad things with girls and things. I mean, I am not doing good things. And he's saying all these nice things. I felt very uncomfortable. And I finally stopped him and said, don't say that. I go, you have no idea. My life's a mess. And he goes, Todd, he goes, I didn't go to work today because I have a share message with you. I'm like, what's what? What's up? And he, and I can tell he's nervous. And he's just sitting there. And finally, he takes this deep breath. And he just said, hey, the, the Lord came to me last night, Todd, and says, we need you on our side today. And when he said that, I don't know how to explain it, guys. I, I felt this feeling, like this love, like I've never felt before in my life. Like The purest. It just went right through me. And I'll be honest with you. As good as it felt, it scared the hell out of me. Sure. I was like, what is this? And you know how your mind can rewind back to moments? I tell Rich, I go, hey, I fasted and prayed for help. And he points in my face and goes, this is your help. And I was just like, whoa. And we're just sitting there in this silence. And I'm just like, did I just really get an answer to this fast and prayer? It was like this so surreal moment. And there's another big part of the story, I hope we have time, that, sure. that really ties this all together. Yeah, lay it on us. Um so he lines me up with a clergyman, a bishop, right? He says, you need to go tell your bishop everything you do. I don't have a bishop. He goes, yeah, you do. You just don't know it. So anyway, <laughs> he tracks this guy down. He, Rich is one of those guys that will grab you by the collar, a good friend that will hold you and say, you better show up and go talk to this guy. He got me an appointment for the next day. So I said, okay, I'll show up. So I go talk to this bishop, right? I go in there. I'm scared to death. I thought, I'll listen to what this guy has to tell me and I'm out of here. Well, he doesn't say a word. He goes, tell me what's going on. Doesn't say another word. I'm just sitting there. Okay, so I start telling this guy what happened with the fast and prayer. Well, thinking I'm going to be there for five minutes, I unload on this guy for the next three hours. I tell him everything. Everything. Unload, right? Well, he when I get done, I'm thinking, this guy's going to throw me out of his office. I mean, I told him everything. You know, <laughs> he was probably going, oh, wow, I didn't realize what this guy's going through. Yeah. Now, what I didn't know back then, Casey... There wasn't a rehab on every street corner like there is today. This guy became my rehab. So he said, I got four things I want you to do. I want you to say a prayer once a day, read, a, read one verse in, in the Bible. And he goes, I want to meet with you every week for a year. And then he goes, and then the last thing he taught me, the most powerful principle, he goes, I need you to be honest with me every time we meet. And I go, well, I just told you everything. I go, what do you mean? He goes, if you use, if you lie, if you cheat, if you manipulate, tell me. I go, okay, I, I'll, I'll, you got that. So I start meeting with him every week. Um, and every week I tell him, yep, I got high every day this week. Yep, I stole 50 bucks from my dad. Yep, I did this. I, you know, It takes me eight and a half months before I can look him in the eye and say, I made it three days clean this week. 
But I'll be honest with you, that negative voice in my head was still going strong. You're pathetic. You'll never be clean. You can't do this. It's too hard. You're pathetic. You know, all your friends, they're married. They've, they've graduated college. You got nothing. And I'll tell you, it was bad. Well, at the time, I'm a bartender, which is not a good time, good thing to do if you're trying to stop drinking, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, as a bartender, I'd get tips from the waiters and waitresses because I would help them with their customers. And then anyone that sit at the bar, I'd get tips from them. And I'd get a bunch of change. And I'd have all this change in my car, uh, quarters, nickels, and dimes, right? I had about $40. Back then, $40 in, you know, 30 years ago is a lot of money. Oh, sure. Right? So um, about this eight-and-a-half-month mark where I made it three days clean, I'm driving out of my neighborhood in Willow Creek. Out of the corner of my eye, I see this little girl selling lemonade. No big deal. I drive right on past. Then I have this impression come over me. and It says, turn around and give her all the money in your car. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. But I thought, how cool. So I flip my car around. I pull up. Cute little fourth grade girl just sitting there. And I go, how much for, for a glass of lemonade? She says, 25 cents. I said, I'll take one. So she pours it. I set it on my dash. And then I tell this girl, okay, cup your hands like this. And I just start scooping all this change. In her. And this girl, her expression is tattooed on my brain. This She starts freaking out. She gets emotional. I'm getting emotional. And I'm like, hold on. I got more. It takes me 10 scoops to give her all this money. The last scoop she throws on her table and she takes off into the house. And I'm thinking, she's going to go tell her parents some dude just gave her a million dollars, right? <laughs> well, as I pull away, I start to cry like I've never cried before in my life. Have you ever cried so hard, Casey, that you feel like you're cleansing your soul? Yeah. It was a soul-cleansing cry. I have to literally park my car. I put my face in my hands and I sob for like a half hour. And in that moment, I loved who I was. In that moment, I wanted to be clean. In that moment, um, I, I thought I mattered. It lit my soul on fire. There's a beautiful quote by Ferdinand Foch. He says, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. I'm on fire. And that all or nothing mentality kicks in. And I thought, if that girl's there next week, I'm giving her all my money. So the next Saturday, on purpose, I drive by. And sure enough, there she's there with her lemonade stand. And I pull up. She recognizes me. She starts freaking out again. I give her $25 and quarters. I do this the next Saturday, $50 and quarters the next Saturday. And all the money I'm earning as a bartender, ironically. And every time I pull away from that lemonade stand, I just lose it. And that is when my life started to change. But one more part of this. I'm in. Okay. Well, I, for whatever, so eight and a half months Tack on another two and a half months there. So it's almost been a year, and I'm still meeting with the bishop once a week. I'm still struggling on some level, but I'm feeling amazing right now. What I'm, what seeing the expression, what I'm doing with this little girl at the lemonade stand, it's just unbelievable. Um, well, I decide to go to church for the first time. I thought, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go see what it's about. Test the waters. Test the waters, and I'm going to sit in the very back corner, and I'm going to stay there for maybe 10 minutes, and I'm going to bounce. So I'm in the back corner. I start looking around the congregation. On the other side, there's that little lemonade girl with her mom. And she recognizes me. And she's like, Mom, there's the guy. And she starts waving and pointing at me. And I wave back, you know, and my heart just starts pounding, you know, just poof, poof. And I'm like, oh, my. And I get emotional, right? Well, I decide to stay. After it was over, here comes the mom and the little girl. And the mom's crying. 
And she comes up and she hugs me and she's in my ear and she says, Todd, thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter. And I said, oh, no, you have no idea. This has been for me. She says, no, you, you don't get it. You, you, she was saving for a trampoline. You put her over the top. She got it. She just thinks you're the greatest in the world. And she goes, we have a favor to ask you. I'm like, what's that? She goes, on Wednesday, there's a daddy-daughter date. Would you go as her date? And I'm like, well, what, you know, I'm like, what about her dad? You know? Well, we got divorced when she was younger. He's not a part of her life. She really wants you to go. And little does the mom know she's asking this drug addict to take her fourth grade daughter yeah. on this daddy daughter. And so I say, I, she's standing there. Her name's Lindy. She's smiling. I'm like, how can I say no? I'm like, sure. And as I walk away, I'm like, why did I say yes to this? So anyway, Wednesday comes. And I know I'm going through this quickly, but this is where we're getting to the where my life changed forever. We're at this, uh, we, I pick her up, we go up to the camp uh, site where they're having a picnic and all the dads are there with their daughters. We're late. I don't know her. I don't even know anyone there. And I'm sitting there going, why did I say yes to this? I, I, I'm like, I don't belong here. So anyway, we get there. I'm out of place. They start playing a game. How well do you know your daughter? How well do you know your dad? <laughs> <laughs> and I look at her, I go, sorry, we can't do this. She goes, she says, let's guess. Had I not been there, I wouldn't have believed it. We almost get every answer right. We're like high-fiving each other. And people are thinking we're cheating. I'm just like, what is going on? And then it hits me like, I'm used to waking up hungover with puke all over me, doing some of the most horrible things the night before. And here I am with this pure, innocent girl, and we're having hot dogs and Kool-Aid. Well, they gather everyone in to say a blessing on the hot dogs, which I thought was weird. It's like, you bless hot dogs? Uh That's weird. Right. I just, what do you, why do you do that? Is there something wrong with the hot dogs, right? So anyway, <laughs> simple little prayer. I don't even know what they're doing. I'm following along. Okay, everyone's folding their arms. Again, you got to remember, I'm an infant in this. I have no clue. Well, this guy says a simple little prayer, just blessing the hot dogs and Kool-Aid. As he's blessing it, I hear this voice in my head. It says, Todd, you're in the right place doing the right thing. You made an impact on this girl's life that she'll never forget, and I love you. And I don't know how to explain it. It was like this pure love, head to toe. I lose it in the prayer. Prayer gets over. They look at me like, dude, it's just hot dogs. Relax, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, and Lindy's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, these are happy tears. And it was in that moment, Casey, that I said, I am never, ever touching drugs or alcohol again. And I'm going to do my best to never lie, manipulate or cheat. And I want to make an impact on kids' lives like hers the rest of my life. That was 32 years ago. And I have, I did a drug-free program in elementary schools. I went head-to-head with there. I spoke to over 250,000 kids in that time frame over the next five years. And parents would come up to me and said, my son or daughter loves your program. Would you meet with them one-on-one? Not a clue what I'm doing. I said, sure. And that's how my life coaching started. And I just started meeting with these kids who were struggling, who didn't believe in themselves. And then it morphed into, obviously, I'm, you know, what I'm doing today. And that was 32 years ago. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I don't think it's fair for you to tell a story like that to a guy who has a daughter because it's that's you know yeah. a pretty emotional story. Yeah. Uh, but what a powerful, powerful uh, turning point in your life. Um, yeah, and yeah, wow. It's you know it taught me a principle that like if you want to be, give it away. I gave away my money at a lemonade stand, and what I got in return is I got my life back. You know, and you've probably heard this, Casey. 
Um, if you master the first steps, the first 11 steps of AA, you'll probably drink and use again. If you master step 12, you'll never touch another drop. What's step 12? It's going out and giving service. back and helping someone else service. You know, that's the thing. And uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s son spoke at uh, a university here a couple of days ago, and I heard a clip on the radio. And he says, you know, a lot of people don't know what they can give, but what they don't realize is anybody can give service. Yeah. You know, anybody can give service. Anybody can give a helping hand, lend support, be there emotionally, physically, whatever. We all have that ability. There's so many people who reach out to us, Dr. Matt, that say, hey, this podcast is doing wonderful things for us, and thank yeah. you for doing it. And I always feel guilty because I go, you have no idea what it's doing for me. Yeah, I started sure. this podcast yeah. for me. You know what I mean? Amen. As, and congrats as, to you. Yeah, dude. as a way to get through my head and my feelings and let you guys go along for the ride. But the blessings that have come from doing this podcast and being able to hear stories such as Todd's and people week in and week out, Dr. Matt. I mean, it's really life affirming. Uh, and and it, it, it's, it, it's amazing that we get to do this. And I sit here and I listen to your story. And I mean, it's, it, 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 I'm an awestruck. Dr. Matt, I mean, what is your takeaway from Todd's story? Oh, um, well, I just kind of sunk there for a minute into being a listener because that was such a powerful story. And I appreciate uh, you, Todd, for being willing to come on and share it with us Thank and you. with our listeners. Um, and uh, I guess uh, the thought I'm having right now is that, you know, no matter um, how bad you feel, no matter how hard your life is, giving to other people is the best way to get healthy yourself. And uh, some of our listeners are in, you know, struggling with addiction. Some are. Yeah. Uh, and or mental health issues, family problems, financial problems, um, you know, uh, turning it around and finding ways to, to give to other people is one of the best ways to sort of recharge our own batteries. It doesn't make your problems go away, but it sure makes the energy positive in your life. And when you have positive energy, then good things happen. And yeah. so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, following a prompting to stop at a lemonade stand, uh, you know, was a life changer for you. And, and, uh, and I appreciate that, uh, as an example to any of us, you know, whatever we're struggling with, cause we all have, we all have things. Yeah. And I just love the, the way the story laid out. I mean, to, you know, I, I keep going back to where the nasty house where you said you lived there, but the outside matched your inside. And yeah. it really resonated with me because uh, when I was in my active addiction, um, I was sitting on the back deck drinking beer by myself. And yeah. it was so lonely. But I was so alone inside as well. I mean, wow. I had this job where I could go out and do TV and make people laugh. But when it was just me, I, I was alone. And we've said it on the podcast numerous times, but we're going to say it again, Dr. Matt. The opposite of addiction isn't abstinence. It's what? Connection. Connection. And you seem to find that connection in yeah. a lemonade stand, uh, really, and gave you purpose and service and kind of just set you on your road. Yeah. And then you gave back to over 250,000 kids in elementary school, started becoming a life coach, and now you're a counselor at a rehab center. Uh, I mean, I, I was speaking the other day at this conference, and um, when I was laying down on the ground yeah. – the only thing I could have hoped for in sobriety was tolerable. I just wanted a tolerable life. Yeah. I just wanted just tolerable. Just I mean, look, if I can pay my bills, 
and I make it through, yeah. life's going to be okay. I had no idea it could be as good as it is right now. I, I mean, and that's yeah. what they tell you in recovery. Yeah. They go, imagine what sobriety <laughs> looks for. Now times that by 100 because that's what it can be. Yeah. And, and, and But your brain can't comprehend it because you're so beat up. You're so broken. You're yeah. so turned in. You're so messy that it just is like – I can't imagine it being good. And and the forgiveness of others and the willingness yeah. of others is amazing. I thought for sure after that happened, I would nobody would want to talk to me. They, I would, no, they, don't you know about Casey? No, that guy's bad. Yeah. No, but they, they, like I still don't know. I was in rehab, Dr. Matt. I don't know if we've said this on this. For 45 days, I don't know who mowed my lawn while I was in there for 45 days. But it got mowed every mowed week. It, yeah. Wow. You know, and, yeah. and, and I was like, who does that? Yeah. Some great person out there taking care of me and looking out for me and not kicking me while I'm down instead of giving me a hand and a hand up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, well, I think I think we we feel when we feel broken, when we feel worthless, like you've said today, Todd, feeling pathetic, telling yourself you're pathetic. Yeah. We tend to project a lot of those thoughts and feelings onto the world and onto the people around us. And we we forget that uh, there's so many good people out there um, who who see the the good in us, even if we don't see it at the time. Yeah. And uh, giving other, you know, opening up our hearts and giving people an opportunity to serve us is just as powerful uh, in many ways as us opening up our hearts to serve other people. But it's hard to see that when you're when you're feeling at your lowest. Right. Todd, if people want to find out more about your life coaching services and what you do at Wasatch Recovery, how do they get a hold of you? Thank you. Yeah, um, I have a website called ToddInspires.com, and you can it, you know, contact me there. It, you know, I do a podcast as well, and they can you know, sure, check that out. Sure, everybody does a podcast. Everyone's got that. But I was doing it before it was cool. <laughs> I, I want to make that clear. <laughs> life coaching and podcast. Todd was on the forefront. No, I'm kidding. Um but uh, that would be a good way there, and then you can also get. Uh, there's a link there to Wasatch uh, Recovery as well. That uh, you know, if people want to learn more about what that's about. So awesome! Hey, thank you very much for stopping by and sharing your story, Doctor Matt. I hope you get feeling better. We want to thank everybody who stopped by and listened to the podcast today. You're listening to Project Recovery. It's brought to you by our friends at KnowYourScript.org. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is a KSL podcast. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.